0: Third Sunday this year, would you take your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, we'd like to read responsibly this morning, the last half of the chapter, beginning in verse number 26 to verse number 38. Allow me to read verse 26, and I will read the succeeding, even-numbered verses. Would you please begin reading with me in unison verse 27, along with the succeeding, odd-numbered verses through the end of the chapter. Once again, that's Acts chapter 20. Verses twenty-six through twenty-eight, reading responsively, and as our custom and tradition is in respect to the reading of the Word of God, if you're able to stand once again, I invite you to stand. Acts chapter twenty, verses twenty-six through thirty-eight, reading responsively. Wherefore I take to you, take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities, and to them that were with me. I have showed you all things, how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak, and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. And they all wept sore, and fell on Paul's neck, and kissed him sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake that they should see his face no more and they were accompanied and they accompanied him into the ship and may god us blessing to the reading of his word let's make our prayer now heavenly father spirit of god in the minutes that we have with our eternal word i pray that you might speak to every christian heart lord if there be those that have not received jesus as their personal savior Lord, I pray that today that you would speak to their heart and they may be born again this day and we'll thank you for it. Have you run way in your midst, in our midst, Lord, and may you be exalted and glorified, we pray, and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you remain standing, please, for our last praise course. And if you remain standing, we're going to sing uh, Open Our Eyes, Lord, We Want to See Jesus. And at this time, all children and children's workers can be dismissed to junior church. See Jesus. And you may be seated. Thank you, Sherry. Thank you, Eric. I don't mind telling you, this, of course, is a big Sunday in regards to the fact that it's our once a year annual business meeting. Look forward to that day when uh, this is for your old timers to know our Baptist tradition, as Brother Sadler called it this morning, which is fine. But I uh, look forward to getting back to a choir. Like we haven't had a choir for several weeks, of course, and we want to have a choir again. And I like special music and look forward to that as well. And so we didn't have either of that this morning. And hopefully in a short period of time from now, that'll change. And we'll look forward to the warm-up before the message from God's Word. Acts chapter 20 this morning. Our theme verse for 2020, of course, is Acts 20 and verse 20. Now I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house we're talking about sharpening our focus in 2020 this is our third message on purpose from this passage of scripture if we had time we would have started in verse 17 as we've been doing the previous weeks but Paul is speaking to his he's giving his farewell address to the elders at Ephesus last Sunday we detailed just one verse verse 28 take heed therefore unto yourselves and unto all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. We talked about what's really important from verse 28, and it's important. We said three things, three sound bites, that it was important to be protected by his bishop or have a pastor or a shepherd in your life. It's important to be plugged into his body. That's the local church. God has a plan A to win the world to Christ, and through his local church, he needs no plan B. And then we said thirdly, of course, in the latter part of verse 28, that we need to be purchased by his blood. We need to be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We have what, one verse to preach on this morning in the time that we have, and it's verse number 27. We're asking the question, what's really important? What's our focus? What's, what, what really matters? Paul's saying these last words to his Ephesian elders, his preacher, preacher friends that he has. He's going to see their face no more, and he says these words to them. He reminds them, and in doing so, he encourages them to do the same. He says, for I have not shunned, verse 27, for I am not shunned. The word shunned, of course, means I did not keep back from you. I did not, I didn't shrink. Some truth is hard truth. Some truth is inconvenient truth. But Paul said, I did not shun to declare unto you all the counsel of God. We want to sharpen our focus this morning on declaring all the counsel of God, not part of it. You know, there's convenient truth and there's inconvenient truth. We say, what is the counsel of God? Let's define that right out of the gates that we might not understand. All the counsel of God for us begins in Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 1, and it goes all the way through Revelation chapter 22 and verse 21. The Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the Bible ends with, and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all, amen. And all that counsel, it to to gives us about, we need about 100 hours, 110 hours, uh, I guess it is, straight of reading through God's word, to read through God's word from cover to cover. And I don't think you have 110 hours in you. I wonder if you have a half hour in you. And yeah, no, I'm going to try to keep it at a half hour. But we're preaching the whole counsel of God. The application is that. In the whole counsel of God, there's positive truth. Paul said, there's no problem with uh, trying to preach the positive truth. Everybody likes the mercy and grace and love of the the Lord. They like like to hear that truth. Preach the positive truth, but there's also negative truth. There is a hell. There is sin. There is damnation. There is a judgment. So preaching the whole counsel of God includes positive truth and negative truth. It includes milk, milk preaching and meat preaching. This is a one-room schoolhouse right now. We have people, you may be here this morning, and this may be the first or second or third or fourth or fifth time in your life you've been in church, been in a gospel-preaching church. And this, this book's a big book, 66 books, uh, 97,000 97, words or something like that. It's a big book, but there's milk of the Word of God, there's the easy things of the Word of God, and then there's the meat of the Word of God. Some of the Christianity or some of the Bible is for babes and others, others, other parts of the Bible is for mature Christians. And as I've said, there's comfortable truth and uncomfortable truth, uncomfortable truth. We have a problem today, and I don't want to get off on a sidebar too fast this morning in regards to, we have a problem today. We have churches that are not, they're not it's not that they're not preaching the truth, they're just not preaching the whole truth. They're preaching what's convenient, what people want to hear. I want to hear that there's a heaven when I die. I want to hear that. I want to hear that the Lord loves me. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I want to hear those wonderful truths. But Paul said, "I am not trying to discourage you. The whole counsel. Let me give you a couple of verses to remind you." Paul said later on in Second Timothy four, probably his last book he wrote before he had his head taken off in Mamertine Prison in Rome. He said for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine but after their own selves shall they after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Jeremiah said it this way 2600 years ago or Isaiah rather in chapter 30 verse 10 wherefore say to the seers see not and to the prophets prophesy not unto us right things speak unto us smooth things smooth things Prophesied deceits. Admittedly, preaching the whole counsel of God requires an earthly lifetime of ongoing training. It would take that's what we're doing right now as we're preaching the the part of the counsel of God. Now I want to just have time this morning to give you three definites, if you would. Here's the message proper as I like to call it, the outline. Three definites in regards to the whole counsel of God found in our text. First of all, I want you to notice verse number twenty four as we begin. Paul said, but none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course of joy in the ministry which I received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Paul said, I want to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. I want you to declare, first of all, the first definite that he told these bishops to make sure that they do. That is the definite declaration of his saving gospel. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Help me out here, you upperclassmen. What's the nickname for 1 Corinthians 15? It's called the what chapter? No, that's 1 Corinthians 13. Yeah. <laughs> that's the love chapter. 1 Corinthians 15 is the what? The resurrection chapter. 1 Corinthians 15 is the what chapter? Help me out. Resurrection chapter, okay, you got to get this down. The teacher failed here. All 58 verses, longest chapter in, in 1 Corinthians. And I want you to notice, first of all, in the declaration of his saving gospel, I want you to consider for a moment here, a few minutes this morning, the necessity of it. The Bible says the gospel is declared here in Corinthians 15, verse number 1. Moreover, brethren, the Apostle Paul, written by inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, I declare unto you the gospel. Now, as succinctly as I can in the next couple of minutes here, I want to declare the gospel of your Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel means good news. The good news of Jesus Christ. He said, Paul said, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. By the which also ye are saved. The latter part of verse number two, people get mixed up on. If you keep in memory that which I have preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. Let me just summarize and say it this way. Some people believe that Jesus is a Savior up here. Some people believe that Jesus died on the cross, that so he was buried, and rose again up here. But it's not good enough. The devils believe that and also and tremble. Don't believe in vain. You've got to believe down here, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. With the mouth of confession is made unto salvation. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Not just with your head, but with your heart. Don't believe in vain. But look at verse number 3, it says this, For I delivered unto you, here's the declaration, first of all, here's the order, that which also I received, how that Christ died, notice, for our sins, how that he was according to the scriptures, not according to the Baptists, but according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, According to the scriptures, the gospel is the necessity in believing in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That he died, by the way, I didn't know this when I got saved. I knew that Jesus was the Son of God. That's all I knew. Later on, I found out he was God the Son. Greatest mystery of godliness. To God, man died on that cross for us. God became flesh for us. Emmanuel, God with us. He died in my stead as my Savior to be my sin bearer. Paul said in Romans chapter 3, verse 26, to declare, I say at this time his righteousness, that he might be the just and justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Jesus said to a religious man, and my guess is everybody here, whether you want to admit it or not, we all, have, we all have a little bit of religiosity in us. We're in church after all this morning. People equate church with religion. You came to church this morning for maybe out of inquisitiveness, maybe out of duty, maybe for whatever reason you came, and uh, we have religion to us. And there's nothing wrong with religion as the right religion. But religion won't save anybody. The Redeemer is who saves. We must be born again. Jesus said to Nicodemus, that man had, was full of religion. He must be born again. And so Paul said to these elders, these bishops, in this farewell address to the church at Ephesus, he says, "I declare, you declare the saving gospel. This is a definite thing that you must do. There's a necessity of it. But then... Not only the necessity of it, but what are the specific two specific ingredients of this gospel? Back to Acts chapter 20, please. And look at verse 21 with me, please. Acts 20, 21. Paul said, verse 20 once again, I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you. I preached the whole counsel of God to you. And I showed you, and I've taught you publicly. That's what's happening this very second. And from house to house, privately as well. He said, This this is what I've showed you, verse 21, testifying both to the Jews, Jews need to be saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, as well as the Greeks or Gentiles, as well. And also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the ingredients of salvation repentance. I've said it many times church is not meant to be a guilt trip. Satan's the author of guilt, he's the accuser of the brethren. Some have said there's a fine line between guilt and conviction, but not really so. One's from heaven, one's from hell. Have we been defeated? Have we done wrong things? Have we, have we lost? Have we failed in our lives? Every one of us answers "Yea," and many times over. That's, Satan will beat you up if you let him. He'll, he's the accuser of the brethren. We're all sinners. He'll guilt you. You're worthless. You're defeated. But the Holy Spirit of God is the author of conviction. Difference between guilt and Conviction. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10, just listen to the verse, please. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world, that's guilt of the world, worketh death. You see, salvation is repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. What do we repent of? We repent of the false idea that we're good enough to go to heaven on our own. We repent of the idea that our good works will get us to heaven. We repent and we admit that we are lost. We are a sinner. We are undone. I once was lost, John Newton wrote. But now I'm found. Was, but now I'm saved. Was lost, but now I'm found. Amazing grace. So we had this repentance. But then faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. A placed faith. A settled faith in Jesus Christ. And in Christ the solid rock I stand. All the ground is sinking sand. I'm going to heaven for one reason, one reason only, Jesus Christ. And that's why I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven because I received him as my Savior, because he convicted me of my sin. His spirit convicted me of my sin. And I called upon the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the Lord, that's the Lord Jesus, shall be saved. And so Paul said to these Ephesian elders, and I say to you, to our church, 2,000 years later, we need to declare what God declares. We need to declare the counsel of God beginning with this sound gospel, this gospel that's the saving gospel, the necessity of it, the in, in ingredients of it. But thirdly, verse 26, back to our text. Paul said these words, these words make me shudder when I read them because I I failed so drastically. Paul could say honestly, wherefore I take to you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. Paul said he used to. You that don't know your cross-reference in the Old Testament, Ezekiel 3 and Ezekiel 18 about the watchmen. We're, sitting and we're called to warn people. Flee from the wrath to come. We're called to tell people that there's salvation in Christ alone. Paul said, I'm, I've not shunned, I'm pure from the blood of all men. I have no man's blood on my, hand, my hands. I've told everybody. I can't say that, Brother McGee. I can't say that a thousand times over. I've had many opportunities to witness and tell people, maybe just give a simple gospel track or tell people about Christ, and I've I haven't done it. I've got a lot of blood on my hands. I think most Christians in this room, if you admit, you'd probably say guilty as well. And but I want you to know this this mandate to proclaim the gospel, this mandate to proclaim it. There's only one gospel that saves, according to Galatians chapter one. There's no other gospel. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. We're two months away from our, by the way, our missionary conference. I've I've said this for 35 years or 34 years. It's our most important conference of our entire year. It's also one of our least attendance conferences of the entire year. Because people think we're talking about M-O-N-E-Y when we're talking about M-I-S-S-I-O-N-S. And we're talking about salvation. We're not talking about our savings accounts. But those lights on the back table back wall there, of course, on that world map, they represent our missionaries that we help support, and we're throwing out the lifeline. There's a mandate. The Lord said in Mark chapter sixteen, he said, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It's the mission of the church, mission of each Christian individual is Paul's words in First Corinthians nine sixteen woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. We're called to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. We're called to tell people that Jesus saves. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, how shall the faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, but how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? Somebody's got to send. How many here have been to Australia? Anybody been to Australia? A couple of people. Oh, yes, that's right. Catherine's been to Australia. I remember that. She lived in Australia for several years. I forgot about that. Bad illustration. I should have asked if you've been to China. Maybe some of you have been to China. Anybody been to China? We're having fun? You don't want to go to Wuhan province right now. I promise you that one. But uh, we can't go to these places, but we can send missionaries. God gave us a mandate to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And so we had this declaration of a saving gospel the necessity of it, the ingredients of it, the mandate of it. But then back to his text, these final words of the Apostle Paul to these Ephesian elders that he Ministered with for over three, for three years in the city of Ephesus in Asia Minor, and what we know of today is Turkey, of course. And I want you to notice. Secondly, I want you to notice verse twenty-four again. But none of these things move me, neither kind of my life, dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. And the ministry which I received of the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God, it's not only the declaration of His saving gospel, but secondly, there's the The declaration of our soon going. Of our soon going. Paul only lived to be somewhere between 62 and 67 years of age. David said, I go the way of all the earth. We talk about David 3,000 years later, but David only lived to be 73 or thereabouts, 72. We're here today, we're gone tomorrow. There's the surety of our soon going, the guarantee of our soon going, the surety of our soon going. It is the point of a man wants to die. You say, well, we all die because that's humanity, that's human nature. No, we die because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. It is the point of a man wants to die, but after this, judgment. Just as soon, none of us know really personally, experientially about dying because we're all alive still. We've seen many people that died, and we know many people that have died, but it hasn't, it hasn't hit us yet, so we haven't personally experienced it. We haven't personally experienced death because it hasn't come to us. We haven't personally experienced the, the, the judgment, but there will be a judgment. The Bible says, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There's the surety of death. Brother Bob Ross, uh, one of our members of our church, I think he's way this week, down south, I think, and he has at his car dealership, many of you have seen the sign, Life is, sure, or, Life is short, death is sure, sin is the problem, Christ is the cure. You see, life is short. It's, there's a surety of death. None of us are getting out of this world alive. It seems every week, every week without fail, I, see, I hear some several people that died. We had in the 815 service that are just our small 20 people or so, whatever, came to the 815 service. Betty Slaniker was in our service from North Carolina. She's her, heading back uh, to North Carolina. She uh, works on the bus ministry at our church. A 4-year-old died on Friday and uh, four years old. Death comes to all, whether you're four or 40 or 100. There's the surety of it. Then there's the soonness of it. Paul knew that he'd see his face no more, and he was on his journey. He was going to go to Jerusalem, and then Jerusalem would lead him to Rome, and Rome would lead him to his beheading. And Agabus, the preacher, the prophet, even prophesied that bad things would happen if he followed that course, and that's exactly what happened. He followed anyhow. But there's the soonness Of our soon going. You know, I Bible Jesus said it this way, Luke 21 28. And when you see all these things begin to come to pass, we'll talk about all these things in a few moments here, then look up and lift up your head, for your redemption draweth nigh. We looked at it last week. I'll say it again. Our life is but a vapor. We're here today and gone tomorrow. Most of us in this room, and I'm pretty, I'm painting with a broad brush right now, most of us are nearer to our death day than we are to our birthday. Most of us have a lot less life to live than we've already lived. Most of us, not all of us. Some of you have more life to live than you've already lived, earthly life. But there's the declaration of our soon going. Paul was probably, at least in his 50s when he wrote these words, middle 50s, and he had just about a few more years to live, maybe 10 or 12 year, more years before he would have his earthly demise. There's the surety of our soon going. There's the soonness of our soon going. But then I want you to consider in Paul's case, Paul said in Philippians one twenty one, he said, for me, to, for, for me to live is Christ, and to die is, do you know what? Gain. I want you to consider for a few moments. Let me slow down because I enjoy this part here of this whole counsel of God, the satisfaction by it. This world's not our home, we're just passing through. Our treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angel's beckoned me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. We were with Peggy Isley at Valerie Manor yesterday, and uh, Peggy wouldn't mind me sharing her, her in a testimonial. She's been at Valerie Manor all week, and or Monday or Tuesday. They transferred her from Charlotte, uh, Hungerford, to Valerie. And... Uh, I have to be careful with the balancing act here. I don't want to make it worse than it is, but I don't want to sugarcoat things either. Peggy's not doing real good, and she's looking forward to meeting her Savior, but she's been looking forward to meeting her Savior for a lot of years now, <laughs> not just this past week, but she said, Pastor, I just want to go home. The older you get as a Christian, the more you realize that. The, the more you realize that to, for me to, to, the, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul said, I'm in a straight betwixt two. I'm between, we would say, a rock and a hard place. I have a desire to minister and be here and minister Christ. And I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better, he said. The Bible says, to be absent from the body, for the Christian is to be present with the Lord. I look forward to the day when Revelation 21 and verse number 4 rings true. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. You see, for the child of God, back to the resurrection chapter, 1 Corinthians fifteen. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? For the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is law. But thanks be to Jesus. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Therefore, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Paul said, in regards to our soon going, he said, you're going to see my face no more. They wept, they fell on his neck, and they kissed, him, kissed him, the Bible says, verse 37. They sorrowed, most of all, for the words that he spake, that they should yeah. see his face no more. One day there'll be a home going for the child of God, and one day for the non-child of God, there'll be a, a death as well. There's a the surety of your death, there's a the soonness of it. But for the child of God, there's a the satisfaction by it. Once we get on the heaven's shore, we'll say, why, why were, we, what were we worried about? What were we, why, why, why were we nervous about this here? This is great every day forever and ever and ever in a place called heaven. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Well, you just start thinking about that, you just pause. We can't even comprehend that forever. The satisfaction by it. But thirdly, back to our text. Three definites according to this text, just part of the whole counsel of God. There's the declaration of his saving gospel. There's the declaration of his soon of our soon going. But then I want you to notice in verse 31, it says, Paul said these words, just one word that will suffice it really. It's the word, second word, therefore watch. Watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to teach and I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. In almost every one of Paul's epistles, Paul told the Thessalonians, he said, to wait for his son from heaven. He always spoke about the blessed hope in Titus 2, verse number 13, looking for that blessed hope in the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. There's a declaration of his soon coming. And I just interject now this morning here. It's amazing to me, this is preacher speak now for a moment here, this is what's happening in my world, my so-called clergy world, that I don't even like to be necessarily a part of that world, but I am. A lot of different clergy out there, a lot of different Christian pastors out there, and I use the word loosely. A lot of different Christian churches, that I'm using the word loosely. We don't all believe the same things, we claim that we're all Christians, but I'm afraid not so much many of them. But there are many churches that are getting away, even some gospel preaching churches, I hate to admit that are getting away from sound preaching and preaching the whole counsel of God in regards to the coming pre-tribulational rapture of the church, the catching away of the church, and the, the specific, the Bible speaks of a seven-year literal tribulational period that come upon the earth. They stay away from these words because it sounds so audacious. It's, it's controversial. People might think we're crazy. But I want you to turn, if you would, please, quickly. Turn to First Thessalonians chapter 4, if you would, please. I want you to see these verses. 1 Thessalonians 4. A lot of churches that once upon a time preach this truth that are no longer preaching it because it gets people upset. It gets people, it's controversial. There's different varying opinions out there in the last 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 years now. And people say, well, let's not be dogmatic on what the Lord is dogmatic about. or well, that's what the Baptists believe. I, I, Brother Sadler made a uh, an interjection in his Sunday school teaching this morning about being Baptist, and He did it in a very kind way, of course, and I appreciated the way he presented it. Yes, I'm a Baptist. I'm a Baptist preacher and I apologize for that. I'm thankful for that. But I I want to be a Bible preacher first and foremost. If there's anything that Baptists believe that's not right, right, right where the Bible, I want to throw away the Baptist and keep the Bible. And I want to be true to the Word of God. It just so happens that painting with a broad brush that Baptists by and large, not all, but many try to hold to the preaching of the word of God. And so what I'm sharing with you is not Baptist doctrine, it's Bible doctrine. I want to show with you what God's word says. First Thessalonians 4, there's five things that this soon coming of the Lord Jesus Christ involves. It involves, first of all, clouds. You say, what do you mean by clouds? Well, let's read the text. 1 Thessalonians 4.13, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Now, I have to, let me, let me explain here. A lot of confusion right there. The Bible says that when we die, that our body goes to the earth, our body goes to the ground. But our spirit, the Bible says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Christians, their soul, the moment they die, they go to heaven. The very second they die. But their body stays here on earth. There's a faith factor involved in that as well. But he speaks about those that are in the graves. Their body, they don't have a, they have spirit bodies. They don't have a, they don't have a physical body, as a, a, a sanctified body in heaven yet. They, they're, they're, their bodies are in the grave, but their souls with the Lord. See, how do you know that? Well, the, the scriptures interpret itself as we keep, if we keep reading. He says that concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. A lot of people in this world have no hope. Let's be real, the evolutionist has no hope. We're just part of Mother Nature, after all. When you go back to, when you die, you go back, you're six foot under at best, and that's it, you're you're gone. You can get into reincarnationism if you want to, you can get into Hinduism if you want to. There are all kinds of different belief systems out there, of course, I understand that. But according to the Bible, there's people that have no hope. But Christians have a blessed hope. We have the hope. We have a no-so hope. We see it here in verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Now, if you really believe that, give me an amen this morning. He died. The Gnostic says that there's no way that God could be a man. But Jesus was the God-man, greatest mystery of godliness. He, He became flesh for us. Emmanuel, God with us. He literally died, not spiritually speaking, but literally he died on that cross. He was, had his blood shed. And he didn't, no man took his life. He laid down his life for us. But he died on the cross, and three days later, he literally, not like the Jehovah's false witnesses teach, that just from spirit, spiritually he rose, but no, he literally rose from the grave. The Bible says, If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him, Notice that these sleeping saints, their body is on earth, their body's in the grave, but their their spirit is with the Lord, because they come with the Lord. For this we say unto you: This is again for the third time I want to make this very clear. This is not Baptist doctrine. This has been before there were people who called themselves Baptist. This is Bible doctrine. This is this is by the word of the Lord. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. That we which are alive, that's you and me as far as I can tell right now, and remain unto what? The coming of the Lord shall not prevent them, or not Old English, King James English there, precede them which are asleep. Remember verse 16, for the Lord himself, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ, there it is, shall rise first. If we are by cemetery, I really believe that one day when the Lord comes, comes we hear that shout and we hear that trump, that the graves are going to be opened up and those bodies are going to be formed incorruptible, new, they're going to go up to heaven first. I don't know how many seconds or how many nanoseconds or minutes it'll be between them going and us going, but the Bible says, it goes on to say these words, for the Lord himself uh, or pardon me, verse seventeen. Then, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. Don't let the tomfooleries fool you. And say, well, you don't find the word rapture in the Bible. Well, yeah, that's very profound. You don't find the word rapture. You don't find the word Trinity in the Bible either, but it's there. Word, the word rapture. There, word in the. The Latin language there, the the word caught up is the word rapturo. Obviously, we get our word rapture from. It's the catching away. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. There's the clouds. To meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Notice that the Lord does not come to the planet Earth. But there's plenty of references, and I have to begin to hurry we can cross-reference where we see that the Lord will come to the Mount of Olives. I've stood on the Mount of Olives. I've walked down the Mount of Olives, down to the, the base of where the Garden of Gethsemane is and up the hillside, up to the Mount, Temple Mount, as it's called. You can walk it in a, if you've got a half hour. It doesn't take long. It's from here to the, the, the hilltop over there. It's about a half mile or so, three-quarters of a mile, I guess it is. And the Bible says that one day his feet will touch down on the Mount of Olives. You say, Preacher, where were Jesus' feet really touched on at? The Mount of Olives, or east of Jerusalem. There's a designated a spot, the same place that he ascended up into glory in Acts chapter 1. But here he doesn't come down to earth. He comes in the clouds. And there'll be a catching away. And I have to hurry and do this quickly here. But then this world will be thrown into... Do you think they're going to get on CNN? Do you think they're going get on Fox News and say... Well, the Bible, the Christians are right and the rapture is true and the Christians just got raptured out of here and uh, millions of people are gone and the, the Bible is true. I don't think that's going to happen. No. I think they're going to say some cosmic, I, I saw an, uh, you know, a space, I saw my first UFO a couple weeks ago, <laughs> me and Brother Mark Riedmeyer saw, saw it uh, together here. Uh, on this, I think I saw the space station uh, up in the sky, no kidding, uh, for a few moments here. But uh, we'll be caught up together with the Lord one day and uh, this world will be they'll say, maybe Martians came and took us all away, I don't know what they'll say afterwards but this world will be thrown into, when it he, when he comes again not only will it involve clouds but it will involve chaos or confusion people will say, what happened? they won't know what happened for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they believe a lie I'm telling you point blank what's going to happen and listen to me carefully Jesus is coming again. He's coming in the clouds. He's coming with his saints, and he's going to take his children away. There's going to be a rapture, catching away. You say, that, that, that would be like impossible. That would be like sensational. That would be like a miracle. Yeah, you're right. You say, you'd have to have faith to believe that. Yes. You'd have to believe the word of God to believe that. But I want you to know that not only will this second soon coming of the Lord Jesus Christ be with clouds but it will involve chaos the Bible says that Jesus' words in Matthew twenty four twenty one for one verse to suffice for then shall be great tribulation I'm too young to have experienced anything about World War II it was 13 years after I was born that it ended some of you are old enough to remember to be little children some of you might have experienced uh, uh, Cecile Keller was in 815 service she was a little girl in Switzerland during the war I never experienced World War One, World War Two, Korean conflict, uh, Vietnam conflict, or a thousand other wars and plagues that have affected planet Earth down through the last several thousand years. But the world will see going to chaos that they never experienced before. Jesus said that this great tribulation will be such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor ever shall be. In Jeremiah thirty verse seven. Bible calls it the time of Jacobs that's Israel's trouble. Daniel chapter nine calls it Daniel's 70th week, 70, one week as he seven, represents seven years. There'll be a seven-year time, a period of time where God deals with his children of Israel, His covenant people, Old Testament again. They've experienced 69 weeks, 48three years of biblical prophecy, from the fall of the temple, from the fall of Israel to the coming of the Messiah. And there's got seven more years where God's going to deal with them in this great tribulation period of time that Revelation speaks about so bluntly. See, there's a declaration. Paul said, I want you to watch because the day is, the Lord's coming is near. He's coming in the clouds. There's going to be great chaos. For the Christian, it'll be great comfort. You say, well, what will we be doing, us Christians, while this world is in chaos? We'll be enjoying the marriage supper of the Lamb. <laughs> seven years, it'll be great. It'll be the best... Uh, 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 what do you have after a wedding? Reception. reception, there it is. It'll be the best reception you ever had in your life here. In all eternity, we'll be enjoying the Lord Jesus and Lamb. But then I want you to notice thirdly, a third C, if you will, what this soon coming involves, not only clouds, not only chaos, but then Paul said in Second Timothy 4, verse 8, Henceforth, after my soon going... Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all those that love his appearing. Let me just take another moment here. Many people think this is fantasy. They think this is foolishness. Jesus is coming again. They don't believe it. They say it's just a religiosity. It's just emotionalism. It's just sensationalism. There's no truth in it. Well, the Bible says he's got a crown of life for those that love his appearing. Revelation three eleven. The Bible speaks a lot about crowns, by the way. No, the whole message could be developed in, in the preaching the whole counsel of God about all the crowns that there are, to, crown of life and crown of suffering, crown of righteousness, crown of glory, that fadeth not away. The uh, Bible says in Revelation 3, verse 11, Behold, I come quickly. Hold fast that which thou hast, and no man take thy crown. I'm not an Armenian, I'm referring to a biblical misupposition that that you can fall from grace, that you can lose your salvation. I don't believe a Christian can ever lose their salvation. Once saved, always. saved, always saved, saved forever. You have everlasting life. But there are those that teach you can fall from grace, you can lose salvation. They're wrong. Well, you can't fall from grace, you can't lose your salvation, but you can lose your rewards. Right. First Corinthians three tells us that. Here in this first Revelation 3.11, it tells us that, that, that hold fast, that no man take thy crown from thee. We can lose rewards. Paul said, I want to finish my course with joy. That leads me to the fourth truth, this declaration of the soon-coming gospel. Don't turn me off here. Again, i know got a couple of illustrations. We're done. This preaching, declaring the whole, all the counsel of God involves the first definite of the declaration of his saving gospel the necessity of it, the ingredients of it, the mandate to proclaim it. This declaring the whole counsel of God involves a second declaration of our soon going, the surety of it, the soonness of it, and the satisfaction by it for the Christian. But thirdly, the declaration of his soon coming involves clouds, chaos, crowns. But then I want you to notice it involves, fourthly, certainty. Certainty. What God declares happens. I mentioned, I think, last week, and these messages are admittedly some repetitive and building blocks. The Bible says that, we mentioned it last week, that Jesus is coming again. It's a guarantee whether you believe it or not, it's going to happen. Just like whether you believe it or not, you're going to die, it's going to happen, and the, barring rapture. The gospel is true. You'll find that out. One side of the uh, heaven or hell, you'll know that it was real. But there's a certainty of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, of the soon coming. The Bible says, Jesus said, for yet a little while, Hebrews 10, 37. And pardon me, the Apostle Paul said, and for yet a little while, and he shall come. He that shall come will come and will not tarry. If you're a new, newer Christian or if you're a, pardon the sports language, if you're a rookie, turn your ears off for a moment. Don't bother listening to me for a minute. If you're a veteran, listen to me. I've been doing this church thing for a long time now. When I was a middle teenager, about 16 years of age, God got a hold of my heart. I started coming to church every time the doors were open. I was going to go in the Marines, you Marines, because all real men went in the Marines in my teenage mind. And then I was going to become a draftsman. The kids don't even have a clue what a draftsman even is. And I'm glad I didn't become a draftsman. It's out of date now. It's called CAD CAM now for the last three years. But I... I went to church, and I remember hearing one particular old preacher that got up and preached that Jesus was coming again. It was 1974, thereabouts, 1973. Vietnam War had just been winding down. I was still in high school, and the world was in tumult and chaos, it seemed like. And he said, to, he says, I don't see how the Lord can't come back before the year 2000. And I remember saying to myself, man, I'm going to be an old man in 2000. I'm going to be like 41 years old. I'll be like in the grave, one foot in the grave by then. I'll never see 2,000. Lord, I've never come back before. I, I read 19, George Orwell's 1984 book. I said, no, we're not going to get to 1984, let alone 2,000. And I began to say, and I heard all these preaching messages on the Lord's coming. And I preached dozens and dozens and dozens of messages, scores of messages, and the several thousand messages I preached on the second coming of Christ. Here we are. It's 2,020. I've been preaching this for 45 years and the Lord still hasn't come back. I'm like, Lord, come on, I'm waiting for you. I don't want to go by way of Jordan. I want to go by way of rapture. I don't want to have to suffer death. None of us really do. But there's a certainty that the Lord says he's coming again. Frank Garlock wrote the words to maybe today. I've had the privilege of meeting Frank Garlock once upon a time. He's still alive. He's in his 90s. Oh, I didn't have my book ready. 123, get your hymn book if you would, please. So I'm not done with the message yet. Hold on, I'm almost done. I'm wrapping up. Plane's coming down for the landing. It's almost on the tarmac. Hold on. 123. We haven't finished our outline yet, have we? So hang tight. Frank Garlock, I think he's in his early 90s now. He's a prolific songwriter. Lives in South Carolina. Written, I'm sure, hundreds of songs. This is one of his more famous songs. Maybe Today. Maybe today my Lord will come, it may be soon, it could be morning, night or noon. Till then I'll watch and work and pray, when he comes I'll go home, there to stay. Maybe today my Lord will come for me, maybe today my Savior I shall see, maybe today from sin I shall be free, Jesus will come and I will go home, it may be today. Verse 2 says, my Lord will come. I know not when. I would have thought he would come already by now. Uh, just, just a quick sidebar. I remember after 9-11, somebody was talking about 9-11 just the other day, last week or so. And boy, I remember how churches got on fire and Christians got on fire. And world, America had revival for about a month. Then we went back to our own ways. We forgot about God. We, we turned to God in our need and then we turned to our military in our Might, And we said, well, we'll lick these terrorists, no problem at all. And we got puffed up with pride. We forgot about the Lord. Well we thought the Lord was coming back soon and now we forgot about it. Almost 20 years have passed since then. Maybe verse number two, he'll come again with eager eyes. I look for him in his presence. New joy will begin. Verse three, we'll sing his praise forevermore when we have entered heaven's door, redeemed from all our sin and strife, then we'll know perfect love, endless life. Maybe today my Lord will come for me. Maybe today my Savior I shall see. Maybe today from sin I shall be free. Jesus will come, and I will go home, and maybe today. There's a declaration of his soon coming. It involves clouds. It involves chaos for many, comfort for some. It involves crowns. Crowns to be won, crowns to be cast at his feet, or crowns to be lost. It involves a certainty. Nevertheless, the Lord will come. So what do we learn in regards to Acts 20, verse 27? For I am not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God, Paul said. We learned that in 2020 today, the fact that he is coming, and I am going, now, we're all going one way or another. We're either going by death or we're going by rapture. We're going by going lost. We're going to die and be separated from God in a place called hell. That's very inconvenient truth, I know. Very hard truth. Or we can be saved by receiving Christ as Savior. It's amazing to me how many people have a wait and see attitude. Well, you may be right, you may be wrong. I'm not sure. I'll just wait and find out. Don't wait. Now is it says, Behold, now it's accept the accepted time. Behold, now it's the day of salvation. Now it's the day to be saved. Why, there's still time. Well, it's not thyself for tomorrow, for the other knows not what a day may bring forth. Today can be your day of salvation if you call upon the Lord. You can be saved today. So in 2020, may I sharpen my focus on the fact that he is coming? And I'm going, so today, may I be preparing? Amos 4.12 simply says, Prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. Prepare to meet thy God. One day we shall stand before him. Every knee shall bow. And we'll be appointed unto, man to, it's appointed unto man who wants to die. But after this, the judgment. I thank God that there's a Savior that we can go to that can plead our case. He's our great advocate, our great Savior. And he'll plead our case. Everyone that's received Jesus as our Savior, we hear those words. Well, enter thou into the joy of the Lord. We'll be, saved by, be we're saved by his blood. We thank you, Lord, for that. Let's bow for prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your truth of your word. We thank you, Lord, that there's a precious gospel that's been proclaimed and we're to proclaim it, a saving gospel. We can save men from the uttermost of our greatest sins. Save us eternally in a place called heaven. Deliver us from hell and take us to heaven thank you for the the truth, Lord, of the soon going, that we're here today and we're gone tomorrow. There's a satisfaction for that in the Christian, Lord, to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord, to die die is gain. But Lord, to those that are not in Christ, Lord, it should be, death should be a fear today. Lord, it doesn't have to be that way, though. Lord, we know that there's a declaration of your soon coming. You said over and over again, three times in Revelation 22, Behold, I come quickly. Behold, I come quickly. Surely, I come quickly. Lord, it's been many years and you haven't come yet, but Lord, you said you will not tarry in your coming, that you will come as you said you would. We look forward to that day. Help us to prepare to meet our God, we pray. Bless in our moments of invitation, we ask, and have your will and way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we stand together, let's take our hymn book and turn to 123.